0: Welcome to the Inspiring Sustainability Podcasters. In the show, we feature game changers. And today, I'm delighted to invite Clive Hall, who is the founder of Rushlight's events, as his business is all about celebrating and promoting those very environmentally sustainable, game-changing businesses. So welcome, Clive.
1: Hi, Adam, and it's good to chat to you about this
0: great stuff. So Clive founded uh, Rush Life in 2006, which is in fact the year that I got into sustainability, and he has run it ever since. Um, in the meantime, has also become the chairman of the London Community Resource Network, founded the London Cleantech Cluster, and uh, not only is he a fellow of the IRSA, uh, but he's also running four projects associated uh, with sustainability as part of that. And uh had a good chat with Clive beforehand and looking forward to talking about, uh, well, really what brought him into this. Uh, what uh, I'm going to be interested to why he chose Rushlight as a name. Um, but then the meat of it is going to be what he's seen as the evolution of cleantech. Uh, the evolution of events in clean tech and why uh, they're getting more helpful for companies. And then what his kind of personal passions are, um, because uh, I understand that the circular economy is something that Clive is uh, particularly interested in. And I think a lot of our listeners are as well. So, before we jump into that, just to give you a little bit more about me and the show, um, of course, I will be delighted if you could subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcasting app. Um, Leave a review if you like it, or uh, give it some uh, five stars, would be brilliant. Um, If you want to know more about the work that I do, uh, you could either go to uh, the inspiring sustainability.com. connect with me um, through that or alternatively sign up to the newsletter. And of course, there's the socials. Um, You can find me on uh, LinkedIn or Twitter, uh, Adam Woodhall. And well, I'm guessing what you want to know what I I do as well. So before we go any further, just a quick highlight of that. I work uh, exclusively with environmentally sustainable startups and scale-ups delivering strategic storytelling services um, and my passion is about helping them grow so they can achieve their potential and mainstream their solution. Um, so uh, after that uh, brief little uh, uh, ad break um, we'll get straight into the conversation. So Clive, tell us what brought you in in 2006 into um, sustainability? What, what kind of ignited that passion, if you pardon the uh, illusion?
1: Indeed, indeed. It, to be honest with you, it's something that has been of interest to me for really quite some time. And uh, when I sort of set out some of my past, you'll see that um, unbeknownst to me, I was clearly heading in this kind of direction all along. Um, but as always, when uh, careers take a t- particular turns, um, you don't necessarily know exactly where you will end up. And uh, But I'm very pleased I've ended up where I am today. Um, I. I have had an interest in the environment for some time uh, and the, uh, the, the paid job, if you like, that, that I got before I, I set up uh, this and, and became a, uh, an entrepreneur or whatever you care to call somebody who does what I do now, um, is uh, I used to uh, be a, a director of a, of a company called LGC or Laboratory of the Government Chemist that did, uh, amongst other things, forensic analysis and environmental analysis. Um, And that opened my eyes to uh, some of the things that were happening uh, in our soils and in our air uh, and in the environment generally, Um, and uh, some of the things that were uh, messing with the natural environment. Um, And uh, before that, um, I worked for one of the energy majors. So if you basically pull together an energy background, um, uh, an environmental analysis background, and then after I left LGC, um, I was uh, a part-time finance and ops director um, for uh, a year at uh, a, a, a AIM-listed media company, and I re-established their events team. If you could basically you take uh, energy, environment, and events, bring it all together, you've pretty well got Rushlight Events.
0: Wonderful, Ooh. great. So, what kind of uh, what was what started Rushlight?
1: Um, It it really was a a sense that I I felt I could do something better and different. Mm. Uh, And if you ask, I think most people who start things, they would probably say something quite similar. Uh, uh, And I just took my uh, events experience uh, and felt that it was being done in a particular way, which had a focus on making money rather than actually Mm. providing a real benefit to those who were, attending the events or or seeking to use the events as a platform for particular reasons. Uh, And so I wanted to change all of that. Um, And one of the things, for instance, that we've done with our evening briefings has been to take content that you would normally get in a whole day's conference with really quality speakers, a good set of panel members, put it after um, a day's work, so they tend to be early evening briefings mm. and charge a tenth of the price. Mm. And that way it's cost effective, time effective, but you still get the quality that you would put in in a whole day's worth of, of conference.
0: Yeah. So it's basically it's being kind of something that uh a uh quite a bit of sustainability is about. It's about efficiency. Um, so you're making it very efficient for people to access that information and gain uh, the benefits um, in a, in a cost-efficient way as well, which is uh, great to hear. Um, so that's a, a nice little analogy uh, example of how something that I've personally experienced is that um, whilst you are very professional uh, in the way that you approach your business, um, clearly there's a, a deep passion um, in that and um so tell me a little bit just i'm sure the audience is curious why rushlight as a as a name
1: <laughs> right well let me take you back to the 18th century say uh, and you live in your That's cottage
0: pre podcast era then
1: absolutely absolutely uh, and you you live in your your cottage and uh, um you want to be able to do things of an evening when it gets dark and so you uh, go down to your your, uh, river of a day uh, and cut some reeds or rushes uh, and you take them back and you take the outsides off uh, and you dry them and you cut them into six inch lengths and then you take that dried six inch length of rush or reed dip one end in tallow or that waste animal fat from a meal you had a while back and then you put that in something called a rush light or a rush nip which is typically a wooden-based vessel um, with a, a metal prong coming out of it and another metal piece approaching it like a, a scissor arrangement. And on the other end of that uh, second arm, you might have a, a flute, where, which you'll probably identify like something you put a candle in. Mm. But I'm taking you back to the days when there used to be a candle tax. Mm. Uh, and that was very expensive for your, your general population uh, and r- really excluded the availability of, of candles uh, for most people. Um, and so they went down this rush light route, which was therefore a free, sustainable form of lighting. Because they would take mm. this length of, of, of rush or reed and put it into their scissor piece and set light to the ends, And it would burn slowly and provide them with light. So it was early form of biomass, if you like, Uh Uh, uh, but eminently sustainable um, and also provided a particular service. Now, whether it was actually particularly good for the air um, within some of those dwellings is is another matter. I wouldn't necessarily want to pursue that one. Um, But nevertheless, it was part of our history. Mm. Um, So that's where the name Rushlight comes from. Uh, And to be honest, I also wanted to have a a word or a, a name which if you Googled, you wouldn't get too many options mm. uh, and you don't. And I also wanted to have a, a name which was energetic and vibrant because mm. um, it kind of imbues a sense of activity. You can't help but say the word rush light and have your face slightly light up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that kind of worked for me.
0: No, it's it's I I, I uh, remember. I think I've have heard a little bit of that story, but I didn't. I, I realised what depth it went to, and that's yeah. that's a lovely sort of because what it is, it's a very obviously you're talking about things which are cutting edge technologies, but you're also referencing something which is very kind of like deeply meaningful and historical. So uh, thanks for sharing that. So. Pleasure. Talking about the, uh, the clean tech, it's been obviously your passion for the last dozen years um, since you set up the business. Um, can you give me some kind of like uh, as much as you can in our in uh, limited time we have today, a kind of uh, overview of your view of the evolution um, since when you kind of got involved in 2006 through, uh, through those years through to, to now?
1: It's been a very interesting time to be honest with you, it, it has evolved I- enormously. Uh, and in many ways, our Rushlight Awards um, give me the opportunity to dip in once a year to see the evolution of the technologies uh, and the uh, amazing capability of those who are in this space to come up with innovations uh, to address the issues that we're, we're having to face. Um if I go back to the, the first year of the awards, um, we had a, a number of entries uh, from our in the sort of solar space. Uh, but to be honest, they were broadly speaking fairly um, sort of understandable solar technologies, by which I mean they were uh, simple solar uh, PV type technologies. What was really new back in those days was that it was very early days for flexible solar. So the idea you could have some kind of wraparound solar PV technology or something that could be manufactured on a sheet, that was actually really cutting edge back then. Um, Roll the clock forward now, and you've got a number of technologies in that space, and it's proven to be uh, actually a technology which is very cost effective. They've improved the efficiency efficiency, of uh, flexible solar PV enormously, um, but back then it was really cutting edge. It struggled a bit on its efficiency compared with the the classic um, hard framed solar panels, um, but it had its particular uses. Um, for instance, in things like mobile phones, etc. Yeah. Um, so that that's an example where the technology has has evolved, a, a, you know, at a pace. Um, but again, going back twelve years, the term circular economy wasn't understood uh, what i doubt even it was a a term that would have been used people still struggle to understand what actually the term clean tech meant even though it had been around for about a decade when it came out from california originally people didn't really necessarily fully recognize the the, the term Um, and during the time it's evolved into people's understanding with regard to renewable energy they don't necessarily understand that clean tech covers all aspects of the economy, truthfully, um, whether it's sustainable manufacturing, uh, responsible products and services, agriculture, it has a, a breadth to it which goes well beyond renewable energy. But, of course, renewable energy is where there's been so much political focus uh, and media coverage. Uh, and I, I'm pleased about that um, and let, it, let let there be more. Um, but truthfully, cleantech goes well beyond that. Um, And the participants in the sector has broadened enormously as a result, as people have recognized that actually sustainability is not just a a, a name for somebody, a job title for somebody in a large company somewhere. It actually is a responsibility, whether you happen to be a manufacturer, whether you happen to be in a particular given industry. Um, It has started to uh, really and get into everybody's uh, consciousness. Uh, And you can see some of the companies in the vanguard of sustainability who have actually done away with the term chief sustainability officer or head of sustainability, because as far as they're concerned, that particular aspect of doing business now is part of their business as a whole. Mm -hmm. And they don't need one person telling them about it, because everybody in the organization recognizes that actually they need to be a sustainable business and they know how to do that. So that has really been an enormous uh, transition from 12 years ago uh, to now. As far as, uh, as other technologies, and I talked about about solar, um, I- I'm pleased to say that the uh, what used to be called the waste hierarchy and is now, I think, probably better known as the resource hierarchy, which started... Um, 12 years ago, very much in the uh, waste to energy rather than landfill and perhaps um, some recycling and things going through what we refer to as a MRF, uh, a municipal recycling facility. Um, That has now gone up uh, the uh, hierarchy much more towards uh, repair, reuse, refurbishment, upcycling, uh, and uh, occasionally, people actually recognise uh, not consuming it in the first place. Mm, but nice. that's got a little bit further to go.
0: Yes, it does. Wow, well, that's that's a, a good sort of like uh, journey that you've had there. So, one of the things is—is is there any of the um, companies or the uh, either a broad technology or or a specific company? that has been one of your kind of favorites over that time and you've seen them kind of grow and develop um uh, successfully um either from the start of the journey or actually one that's doing that now
1: um i I think it'd be slightly unfair of me to pick out one um particular company or, or set of companies given that um i'm looking to support the whole sector, Mm. I suppose. Um, But what I I can share with you and very happy to share with you is is how challenging it is for companies to move forward in this space. And we've had some really good technologies come through, but they've either been a really good technology too early, so at the wrong time, and therefore have not managed to actually gain uh, market presence and therefore have, have sadly withered and 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 died um or ones that were um uh, a sound idea but hadn't really thought through the picture of things um and therefore got overtaken by other technologies coming in who've overtaken them and moved into that space uh, and done so successfully so this is not a straightforward space uh and there have been um plenty of, of examples where you've had sort of the, the VHS beta max kind of things happening and it's not always the best technology that wins, it's invariably the better business that wins. Mm. And one of the bigger challenges for clean tech companies has been that they've quite often been driven by the innovator, the engineer, the technology person um, who's come up with the great idea, developed the technology. And uh, they can be really good business people, but sometimes they're not. And sometimes they need to be able to bring in people who can actually help them on their route to market. Uh, And talking to investors, as I do, I remember one conversation I had with a particular investor who shared with me that they received something like um, it was a ridiculous number. uh, Let's say something like 100 uh, uh, requests for funding uh, per per week it is some ridiculous number uh, and so to us when you get that number you are looking for reasons to put them on the big pile and very quickly so you can focus in on the ones that you might be interested in and uh, they shared with me that they put um, the requests on the very big pile um, as quickly as possible where they do not see either a very clear route to market and that's where 90% of these requests fail and fail badly. Hmm. Uh, and the other 10% quite often with a broad qualified senior management team. And if typically if the company doesn't get investment uh, and that investor was not alone in their
0: statement, hmm. then
1: typically they that particular company reaches the end of their particular road.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and this is actually what you've been highlighting is is. To be honest, the reason why I've now focused myself fully on this area because there are so many fabulous technologies out there, but a key part of what fails to uh, kind of happen is that they struggle to tell their stories effectively. And and I think that's what one of the reasons why actually... Uh, The last two uh, people that I've had before you have have been people that uh, talk about telling their stories. Um, Hugh at Cambridge Cleaning Tech and then uh, Willem at the um, World Resources, Um, uh, so the Solar uh, Impulse Foundation. Yeah. And... um, both uh, and because the key thing is is that there's lots of different ways that you can tell that story and one of the most important things is it's focusing on how that story is relevant to your key audiences um whether that's uh, early adopter customers or whether that's the investors and as you say those investors get stupid amounts of uh things coming across their table um so what, what's the sort of, have you got anything else that you could kind of contribute for? Maybe there's some people that are listening who are um, those people that are scratching their heads at the moment about how they can um, uh, grow their business or they're thinking about getting into uh, clean tech in its very mani- ma- manifestations. Um, what's some, what the tips would you have about uh, how to tell that story for, more effectively to um, so it can appeal to those investors or the early adopter customers?
1: I think there are a number of factors that, that can be taken into account. Uh, and so starting with a, with a, a, a non-negative, if you like, the hmm. um, number of times I've been told by uh, technology-based individuals who have had so much faith in their technology, and from a technology perspective, I'm sure they're absolutely right to have that confidence. Um, but they have said to me, uh, I don't worry about the route to market because the technology will sell itself. Hmm. Uh, and I don't know about you, but I'm very happy walking on the street, uh, but never have I ever found a solar panel selling itself on a street corner. It doesn't happen. So technologies do not sell themselves. Uh, and by route to markets, what I'm referring to here is actually understanding how you're going to take your technology and make it relevant to the market today and in what way you're going to link up with Uh, the participants in the market and how the market operates Mm. to actually reach your customers because at the end of the day an investor is only interested in one thing and that is cash flow Mm. and that needs to be of at a certain level to match the investment going in and of a regularity and consistency which will give them confidence that they will get payback and more So uh, and you can't begrudge them that because that's their business. Mm -hmm. They lend money to get money back. That's Mm -hmm. how investment works. And so you if you're looking for investment, you have to play the investment game. Um, And and there's nothing wrong with that. So um, route to market is absolutely key. Um, And it's route to market that's meant that some technologies have actually moved ahead quite well and others have found it very difficult. So to take an example, um, marine energy which is, t- is challenging from a technology perspective anyway, because obviously it's in a very harsh environment, uh, and you need a, a technology that is sensitive enough to generate electricity, but sturdy enough to survive the environment in which it's operating. But on top of that, you've also got to work out whether, as a technology developer, you're actually going to become uh, a utility. Um, are you actually going to you know, produce electricity yourself, or are you going to try and sell your technology to somebody else to do that? And uh, if you have a very fancy technology, that's great. But in what way are you going to be attractive compared to perhaps some other technologies to the utility that might or might not be into marine energy? And because marine energy is so challenging, how are you going to persuade your uh, utility to go for marine energy in the first place? Mm -hmm. So there are many hurdles to overcome if you happen to be in that space. And that's why marine energy has not been in the vanguard with regard to renewable energy technologies. Um, but as far as uh, you know, advice is concerned for uh, a clean tech company um, that is looking to uh, develop their business and, and be successful, um, the route to market is key. And that's all about working out where you're going to get your first pound from, who's going to give it to you for the service or the product that you are developing and providing. Uh, And are you best doing that uh, on your own or with somebody else? And Mm. quite often it's going to be with somebody else, either within your organization or perhaps partnering outside your organization. Uh, And quite often speed is of the essence. Uh, And by partnering with others outside your organization, you will actually speed up that process. Uh, and it's always better, I know it's a bit glib to say it, but it's always better to have a small percentage of something than a whole percentage of nothing. Mm. Uh, and it's a lesson, though, that probably one or two entrepreneurs need to actually have up on their wall uh, <laughs> to remind them that uh, hanging on to 100% of what they've got is not necessarily going to get them to the end, end line.
0: Yeah, so, that, I mean, it's like... Um... What I'm hearing there is it's about really understanding your market, understanding the players in it, understanding the people, how it's going to flow, and then making sure you've got the right partners on board. And those partners can be the investors themselves. Pet investors can help you. The partners can be obviously your team and your staff, and then also other kind of external stakeholders. Um, Absolutely. And it's it's, it's, uh, it's quite a holistic game. And it's it's one of the... The benefits and the challenges of this area is it attracts people who are highly intelligent, passionate, and with some amazing ideas. Um, But it also, uh, they're very good at kind of like focusing on the technology. And what I'm hearing you uh, kind of observe is something I've also experienced, is that that can mean that they have blinkers to what the other important aspects of growing a business are.
1: I think it's fair to say there have been a number of examples that, where that's been the case, yes. Yeah. But there are also some cracking examples of companies where um, the, the technology developer uh, and the, the the true genius has actually stayed at the helm and been incredibly successful. Mm. Uh, so uh, it's not a one-size-fits-all by any means, um, uh, and it really is a case of uh, understanding and knowing yourself mm. uh, as the entrepreneur uh, and knowing when to reach out for help and support um but the key thing is uh you won't get funding if you haven't got a business plan mm. which gives the investor a lot of confidence that you are going to earn revenues within a satisfactory time frame mm. so that they can see cash flows which will bring back a return for their investment
0: yes definitely so that's uh, a great kind of we've gone from a, a uh, evolution of clean tech to the uh, how to be a good entrepreneur basically um, so let's a uh, couple of things that I want to kind of cover off before we finish this and I'm sure the uh, listeners will be interested in is what's happened to the kind of evolution of the events in this field because obviously you've been close to it for like a dozen years and then also I think uh, you wanted to talk about your, your personal passion around circular economy so let's take mm-hmm. those, those events first and finish off with a bit of a bang on the circular Economy.
1: Right, right. Um, yes, events in this space um, have followed a, a, a track which uh, is, is not uncommon, where you have uh, a, a new buzz sector or subsector mm. and suddenly uh, everybody wants to know about it, wants to be there. Uh, and running events 12 years ago wasn't really particularly challenging. Uh, you just came up with a, a suitable topical uh, subject to, uh, uh, to to have your evening briefing or whatever, um, and sure enough, you get a, a pretty good room full of people, um, quite a lot of advisors, not many clean tech companies, um, very few investors uh, and uh, that that was that um, yes it 's evolved a lot from there um, now, for instance, with the rushlight show that we 've got coming up at the end of this month on the 30th of January. Um, The Royal Society, we will have there um, over half the attendees, well over half, are actually the clean tech companies themselves. Mm. Uh, And then the the second biggest group are investors. And after them come the corporate customers. And then the wraparound around those three main groups are uh, the the government departments, um, the advisors, consultants, uh, and other intermediaries and networks, that sort of oil the wheels of the evolution that is cleantech. So uh, that's quite a a major evolution in the event space, but also an extremely positive one. Uh, And it really fits with what Rushlight Events is, is truthfully all about, because we see things from the entrepreneur's perspective. What is it that the entrepreneur needs? They need to actually have investors available, because they're not always that easy to get hold of, and they also need to have corporate customers. And so we've developed uh, the Rushlight Show, really to hit those two main groups for the entrepreneur and and vice versa. So your uh, your entrepreneur, your clean tech company, will be able to uh, exhibit at the Rushlight Show, and we do that for you know two, three, four hundred pounds kind of space, rather than the thousands of pounds you have to pay in an exhibition for in a trade show, for instance. And they get to present to a room full of investors. Well, by that I mean, over 60 active clean tech investors from across Europe are going to be there. Uh, and then we have a panel of corporate customers, so heads of sustainability um, and heads of procurement. And they are um, there as a fixed audience, as a fixed panel, and clean tech companies can come and present their market-ready sustainable solution to them. And we've worked out that the price of a ticket, which is £80 for a cleantech company, is less than the, actually the rail fare would be for a clean tech company to actually go and visit these people. Mm. Uh, and that is if you're actually able to visit them in the first place. And you probably wouldn't be able to. So that's really how the Rushlight show has really all come about. And so this year we're going to have some uh, 50 exhibitors We'll have about 500 delegates for the Rushlight show and then the awards party afterwards. Um, and as I say, well over half of those are actually clean tech companies themselves. And with the support of Innovate UK uh, and Bayes and the rest of our sponsors, um, it's been a, a great event and it's come together extremely well.
0: Yeah, great. I mean, it's. I'm definitely looking forward to attending another uh, because I've attended a number of your events, and it always has a really good energy to it. Uh, and it's it's just inspiring to be there to see all these people uh, with these great ideas, uh, and also the people that might want to help make it work, both the investors. And as you say, those kind of like the the government and the advisors that are kind of we're, we're all there to to really help make this make this happen and get those game changers out there. Um, so yeah, so let's uh, let's finish off on that uh, circular economy topic uh, because it's something I'm very interested in. In fact, I'm involved with the uh, Circular Economy Club, uh, London and uh so a quick advert for what i'm doing on the it should be the 21st of february there will be the fast five event which will be happening at my good friend's uh sustainable bank side, uh, space um so have a look out uh for that um but yeah clive tell me why why are you interested in it what's what's uh caught your attention
1: um Before I answer that, and I'm a bit cheeky of me, but I I should actually mention that your circular economy club that you've referred to there uh, are one of our partners in the Resourceful Conference, which is a stream within the Rushlight show. So we have an extra connection there. Um, And uh, what I also wanted to do, if I may, um, is um, just mention in passing. Um, some of the other sponsors of the Rushlight Show, which links in with the circular economy as well. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, we've, we've had um, a number of regular sponsors for our Rushlight Show, um, which is now in its 10th year. Uh, and uh, with uh, Venner Shipley, the patent attorneys, uh, Carbon Limiting Technologies, Granted Consultancy, Everose, Prova, and then Flanders Investment and Trade, you've got there uh, a real cross-section of advisors, government departments, um, who are actively involved in the cleantech space. Uh, and so Prova, for instance, anybody who's been to our WM show for any number of years will have come across Prover a number of times, who are very much specialists in the transport area, where we've got a particular breakfast seminar happening at the Rushlight show this year, and also in the, the waste and resources space. Uh, and with regard to the the circular economy, that has been a, a passion of mine uh, for, for recent years, um, and that's why I developed the resourceful conference of the Rushlight Show, which really brings together the key participants in that particular space, being chaired in the morning by by Julie Hill from RAP, mm. uh, and then in the afternoon by David Greenfield, who is the London coordinator for the Circular Economy Club. Um, so, yes, moving on to the circular economy as a whole, it is something that's of real interest to me because it's something that people don't necessarily fully understand, uh, the full sense of what circular economy really means, because a, a, a complete circular economy um, really has to go back to, to manufacturing. So if the UK had a full circular economy, we would no longer be manufacturing or I suggest importing from elsewhere goods that were incapable of being repaired or incapable of being upgraded technologically. So without mentioning names, I think everybody can probably come up with a, a device that um, they probably find they have to upgrade on a fairly regular basis because uh, the technology uh, has moved beyond ability of their current device and if your current device also happens to end up with a a a broken um, glass front or a a chip out the 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 back or needs to have a um, a, an upgrade of its software or uh, needs to have more memory is obviously a a classic or a bigger operating system well well, tough um, you just have to effectively dare I say it throw your old one away or maybe if you're really lucky Find a way of sending it back or putting it into your wee bin, at your local skip, um, uh, and go out and buy yourself a new one. Well, um, a circular economy says, no, actually, what we're going to do is we're going to manufacture goods that are designed to last. And by last, we mean they're going to be capable of being repaired. So if you have an accident with it, we're going to replace the bit that's broken. And when it comes to something where technology is moving apace, How about designing that device so that rather than having to throw the whole device away, what happens is that you apply, let's say, online for the latest upgrade, which is a a click in uh, aspect to your device. And you send back your old widget and they send in the post the new widget, which fits through your letterbox very easily. And you just go click and it clicks into your new device and lo and behold you've got more memory the upgraded operating system and you're good to go mm. now we all know commercially why that's not being done but that's it. i suggest if you're going down a, a true honest circular economy route that is the way that we're going to need to have to go mm. um and the idea of of owning everything and buying stuff and then throwing it away I think will also need to evolve um, if we follow a, a true circular economy. I think in the, in, uh, in the UK, we probably are one of the uh, countries which, which owns more than many. And we tend to, for instance, I mean, we, we, we like to own our own house, whereas in certain countries, for instance, in Europe, uh, many fewer people um, actually own their own homes. They tend to rent but where we we like to own things. Um, But I can honestly say I get no pleasure at all uh, out of owning a light bulb, owning a carpet. Uh, And I'd be very happy to actually have um, soft furnishings as a service. Mm. Um, I don't need to own a cushion, carpets, curtains. Um, And uh, if uh, there was a, a system such as that which likes of Interface, Um, have developed um, with regard to uh, carpet tiles. Um, Philips do this in commercial lighting space uh, and there are other examples out there um, where you actually don't have to own it, you actually have it as a service uh, and you maintain a a quality level which is then upgraded technologically etc but the incentive then is for the manufacturer to manufacture products which they know will come back to them and therefore they're incentivized to make them such that they can be dismantled, they can be repaired, um, they can be upgraded, they can be upcycled uh, because the materials will be coming back to them. And in doing so, they won't have to use virgin materials, which means therefore we're moving towards a much more sustainable environment. So the circular economy has got a lot going for it uh, and it's a lot... Beyond, well beyond the idea of just putting things into your recycling bin.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Okay, so um, g- great sort of overview and really good little example of uh, sort of how a circular economy. Product could happen and how it could work for people. So thank you for that. I'm sure that's uh, helped uh, some of the listeners. Um, so I think we'd better start wrapping this up because I know you're very busy with all. Not you've got your the uh, the show coming up in uh, yep. what what's the date of the show? It's,
1: it's 30th of January at the Royal Society.
0: Great stuff. And then obviously that's uh, just one part of your program. What what other things have you got coming up in 2019?
1: Right, yes. Well, on the back of the success of the Rushlight show, we found that uh, once a year was not enough to provide the support that cleantech companies are looking for to access investors in particular. So we developed a couple of years back the, the summer showcase, which is a, a mini show, I suppose, but um, it's not that mini um, in that it's the sort of the cleantech conference part of the Rushlight show, um, still with you know 250 delegates um, and Uh, We typically have about uh, 100 and something clean tech companies there. uh, And again, 60 to 80 active investors uh, all meeting up uh, and doing some real business. So the summit showcase, which will be in in June, um, dates to be finalized as we finish off some discussions with various parties who want to participate at that. Mm. Um, but uh, sort of mid, mid to end of June is the typical timing for that. Uh, and then we'll also be doing um, our range of, of evening briefings. And Smith and Williamson have been hosting those with us for the last four years, uh, for example. Um, so those will continue. Um, and uh, uh, we may well be developing um, and continuing our I- investor briefings. Um, which are ways for investors to be updated with some technology developments and for cleantech companies to come uh, and talk about that uh, in that kind of context as well uh, in, our, in our investor briefings. So those are um, the, the plans at this stage, but uh, we are also looking to continue with our London Cleantech Cluster uh, forum. Um, and there we have uh, a very active mentoring arrangement where cleantech companies can access uh, a, a quality list of, of mentors at no charge and we're always open for mentors who want to uh, get in touch and provide their services to clean tech companies to get in touch with us and to uh, uh, look at the companies that have shown interest in having mentors uh, and for them to uh, uh, identify which ones they like uh, and we'll put them in touch. So that's something that the London clean tech Cluster has been very active with as well.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant, great stuff. So where can they find out about you online? Are they, uh, do you have right. a, a website? Do you have any socials?
1: Um, rushlightevents.com is where all of our uh, Rushlight activities are set out. Um, and uh, all contact details are there. Uh, Londoncleantechcluster.co.uk um, sets out there uh, about the mentoring program and other activities uh, in that particular space. Great. Um, Those are probably the two main ones to go for for now.
0: Brilliant. Great. Okay, then. Well, thank you very much, Clive. Uh, That's been a uh, very comprehensive run through of the clean tech uh, world, uh, the event space uh, as you've been in it, and then also that kind of added bonus of uh, circular Economy Deep Dive. And uh, so uh, for the listeners, uh, if you've got through to this stage, uh, thank you uh, for listening all the way through. It's been a a delight to be with you. If you've got any interests, uh, obviously uh, subscribe to the podcast or my newsletter uh, by going to inspiring-sustainability.com or connect with me on uh, at Adam Woodall on either LinkedIn or Twitter. I'd love to uh, be uh, connecting with you. So uh just uh, want to finish off by just saying thank you, Clive.
1: Pleasure. Thanks very much, Adam. All the best.